we open God's Word together, we'll dismiss the kingdom kids, uh, those ages four to nine. Always welcome to stay here in big church, but uh, there is a program especially for that age that is um, meeting right now in the foyer. They're going to be going across to our Christian Education Center, and we remind our parents to pick your kids up from there right after the service. If you've got kids younger than that, under four, and uh, there's also nursery downstairs within this building uh, that you're welcome to make use of. But I would invite the rest of you to join me in Romans chapter 13 as we continue our way through our series through Paul's letter to the believers in the city of Rome. Romans 13, 1 through 7 will be our text today. unprecedented times. That's how many people described uh, the year 2020, but the reality was many of those crises of 2020 had happened before. Uh, The Spanish flu of 1918 was a global pandemic. There were, sadly, have been racial conflicts with protests and riots have occurred far too many times in our nation's history, and this was certainly not the first presidential election to be contested. Clearly, these were precedented times. And yet another recurrence in 2020 was the debate among Christians over Romans 13, 1 through 7, our text today. The opening line says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. And here we go. Just like that, you've got some Christians saying, simple, just do what the government says. And then other Christians are like, oh, 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 hold on. We, you know, there are exceptions and on and on, back and forth, and it feels like the church is in a struggle like never before, except these are precedented times. There are, even just within our brief American history, uh, believers have wrestled back and forth with Romans 13 when it came to the Revolutionary War, should colonists submit to King George or not, the Civil War, must the South submit to the Union, the Civil Rights Movement, Must blacks submit to Jim Crow laws? And however we feel about some of those issues and debates, there were, uh, sometimes to our embarrassment, Christians on both sides arguing for and against whether submission was appropriate or not in each of those contexts. Now, I'm not promising to settle all the debates and questions and and just give it to you so that, well, the next conflict, the next crisis, uh, we'll we'll be ready. No debate. Uh, I'm not promising to do that. But one thing I do believe will give us a better reading of this passage, will better equip us to understand this passage well, will be to back up some to Romans 12, uh, the texts we looked at last week, and then read into Romans 13. So uh, toward the end of Romans 12, and I'm going to pick a little bit here, as we did in our sermon last week, verse 9 of Romans 12, let love be genuine abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. And then you skip down to verse 14, the beginning of the next paragraph. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. And then verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. 
If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by so doing you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience." For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes, to whom taxes are owed. Revenue, to whom revenue is owed. Respect, to whom respect is owed. Honor, to whom honor is owed. All right, there it is. This is God's Word, and we got to deal with it, right? And now, here's the sermon in a sentence. Live under governing authorities in light of God's authority. And now that's not that hard, is it? Live under governing authorities in light of God's authority. It's not hard to understand. <laughs> Maybe a little harder to, to, uh, to practice. That last phrase, though, makes all the difference in light of God's authority. And let's work our way through this in four parts. Live under governing authorities in light of God's authority. Why? Well, here's reason number one. He... He or she, the, that ruler, is God's servant. All authority is from God, and all authorities must answer to Him. James Madison, one of the uh, American founders and our fourth president, said, If men were angels, no government would be necessary. Now, I'm not going to speak to his doctrine of angels, but you know what I mean. If men were not sinners, if men were human beings, were angels, no government would be necessary. Now, I appreciate what he's saying there, but with all due respect, I disagree. I believe government is part of God's good creation, not the fall. Yet, yes, after sin, our exercise of dominion is corrupted like everything, but the, but the reality of the, the nature, the shape of authority, the reality of authority in God's universe is, well, first His, and it should be reflected in whatever authority that humans exercise. So government in that sense, humans carrying out responsibilities of authority and appropriate submission is not a necessary evil, it's part of God's creation design. In fact, the Greek word translated here as instituted in verse 1 and appointed in verse 2 has the same root, and has the same uh, the sense of arrangement, putting things into position, into order. Order as opposed to chaos, like the created order, an ecosystem that is arranged to, to support life. The, the words translated also, be subject, and, in verse 1, and resists, in verse 2, also come from that same root that has it the same, the base idea, this this order or this arrangement or putting things into position. So to be subject to is to, or other places uh, translated as be in submission, that's to position yourself under authority, while to resist is to be in opposition. 
against authority. You could, you could put it all together to say that it's either, it's either being uh, ordered or disordered, or our human society, our community, either in order or out of order, like busted. This is broken. It doesn't work. It's out of order. Now, just like the family and the church are arrangements for human flourishing by God's design, so also the government here is an institution created by God with the same dynamic of authority and submission that you see in marriage and family and workplace and church. It's part of God's created order. And that means to be subject or to be in submission is not a, it's not a demeaning submission. If you are under someone's authority, and we all are in one context or another, it doesn't mean you are worthless or you are powerless. And on the other hand, being in a position of authority is a position of responsibility. It's not, it doesn't make you any more important or more valuable than anyone else. Authority can be abused, but it's not by its very nature abusive. God shows us what good authority is. Now, in our culture, we avoid the word submission uh, for many reasons, but I think partly because Many believe it only refers to something demeaning or unjust. But we all know what the right kind of submission looks like. It's what, we, it's what we're talking about when we teach our children how to speak uh, appropriately to an adult, how to respond appropriately to a teacher or a coach, or when they get that first job as a teenager. Okay, this is how you need to uh, respond to your boss. That's appropriate Submission, and it's not just for when you're a kid. Submission is proper respect for authority in attitude and action, recognizing their position and yours in a particular setting. That's what submission to authority means, but why should we do it? Why should we submit to governing authorities? Answer in the end of verse 1, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. That's the answer. Then the conclusion, verse 2, the beginning, therefore, whoever resists rather than submits to, the authorities resist what God has appointed. And of course, again, we're quick. Wait, wait, really? What about evil dictators, crime bosses? Uh, uh, did, did God appoint them? Am I supposed to obey them? Now, it's understandable that we immediately swing to possible exceptions because this so, sounds so cut and dry. It sounds so out of touch. We, we, we know how authority can be abused and can be abusive. We see it all the time. The key is what I said in the introduction. God's authority means we must take governing authorities seriously, and God's authority also means we shouldn't take them too seriously. Romans 13 is just one of many places in the Bible speaking about the authority of kings, governors, etc., as authority granted by God, who has all authority, and that authority can just as easily be taken away. Do you remember what Jesus said to Pilate, the Roman governor of Jerusalem, uh, at, just before Jesus was taken to the cross? Jesus said, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Jesus wasn't saying that Pilate was a good governor. He wasn't saying he was right in what he was doing, but he was making very clear, Pilate, you wouldn't have any authority at all over me except God is allowing you to do this right now. Or uh, the book of Daniel, which we looked at, uh, went through uh, early last year. 
Daniel 2.21 says of God that he removes kings and he sets up kings. And if you remember the context of Daniel 2, he's talking about a vision of human kingdoms rising and falling down through history. Kingdoms rise, kingdoms fall with God's kingdom as the final and everlasting kingdom. Or Daniel 4.25, the most high rules the kingdoms of men and gives it to whom he will. Now, did you hear that? He, God appoints human rulers but he still rules, rules over all. The Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. But down through history, uh, some people who have read the Bible have missed that point. Uh, take King James I of England. The King James Version was translated during his reign. That's why it's called that. He didn't translate it. Um, King James I of England, early 1600s, he claimed that Romans 13 gave him the the divine right of kings. Maybe you learned about that in history class. And by that, he meant, hey, Romans 13, I have the divine right of a king. I don't have to listen to parliament. I don't have to listen to the people. The people, their job is simply to do what I say. But only God has absolute authority. Only God has absolute authority. Kings, emperors, presidents, prime ministers, they have a delegated authority. That means ordinary citizens still have an obligation to properly submit to proper authority because they have been appointed, instituted by God, and recognizing that even the the bad ones, I mean, they're in their place only uh, in the providence and the sovereignty of God. As the rest of the passage repeats, he, that ruler, is God's servant. That ruler is the servant of God. The authorities are ministers of God. Now, it might be easier... uh, for us to think of our village president as a servant of God, Phil is a follower of Jesus. Um, it might be easier to think of our village president as a follower of God than say Pritzker or Biden or Trump or Pence. You may think of those guys as scoundrels or imbeciles, but in their office, they have an authority given by God, and that has implications for submission for you and for me. And we'll see more of those implications as we go on. But just be sure that they too will have to answer to God for the authority that he gave them. Now, Paul doesn't go into all that because he's not talking to the authorities. He's talking to the little guys, like you and me, the citizens. So they will have to answer to God for the authority God has given them, just like you and I will have to answer to God for the authority that he's given us as a husband, as a parent as a pastor, as a teacher or a boss, whatever, whatever role you have of authority, you, all authorities must answer to him. And what do you expect of those under your authority? What should you be showing to, God, to those whom God has put over you? So the big idea here is live under governing authorities in light of God's authority. Why? Verse 2 gives two reasons. You resist what God's appointed and Two, you will incur judgment. And Paul expands on that second reason in these next few verses. Let's read verses 3 to 5 again. Well, the end of verse 2, those who resist will incur judgment because, verse 3, 4, rulers are not a terror to good conduct but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. 
But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. So this is part two. Why live under governing authorities in light of God's authority? To avoid God's wrath. The ruler's job is to carry out God's judgment, and here's the important qualifier, according to God's justice. Now, I know, now you're probably thinking, wow, Paul sounds so naive, as if all governing authorities support what's good and oppose what's bad. A lot of them are crooked. A lot, they, they do the opposite. That is all too true, and, and not just in you know, Chicago or Springfield. Uh, last week I read to you from the Old Testament prophet Micah, who challenged the rulers of Judah in his day, saying that, you guys hate what is good, you love what is evil, you have no concept or practice of justice. And Paul's not unaware of bad rulers either. He was the victim of unjust beatings, imprisonment, and ultimately, uh, later in his life, execution. What he is doing here is dealing with God's intentions for government, God's design for government, the order, the created order that should be expressed in government, how good rulers and good citizens should behave, particularly in a world where there is good and evil. Now, if you are with us last week, we looked at the end of Romans 12. Christians, I read this earlier, Christians should abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. We should not be overcome by evil. We should overcome evil with good. And this passage is a continuation of that one. Christians should be committed to doing good, doing what is right, all the time, no matter what. Listen to how the Apostle uh, Peter gives very similar instructions. This is from 1 Peter 2. I, I read something of 1 Peter 2 last week. Here's some more. 1 Peter 2, 13 to 17. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. There's, so, same idea. Be subject, be in submission. For the Lord's sake, in light of God's authority, to every human institution, whether it be the emperors as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Same as here, right? For this is the will of God that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Titus 3 says the same. Submit to governing authorities and do good. Do good. This is what we are called to do. Now back to Romans 13. Paul says, if you do good, you never have to be afraid of the authorities. And again, we're like, really? <laughs> there's, been a, there's been a lot of discussion in, in you, you might have specific examples you're thinking of, but let me, let me throw a curve at you. There's been a lot of discussion in recent years in the United States about minorities being afraid of the police. And one could, one could point to verse 3 here, do what is good and they won't bother you. But just a moment ago, weren't we saying, Paul, Paul, you're, you're so naive. You, you think all rulers support the good and oppose the evil. Paul is not ignorant of injustice. He's describing what justice-defending authorities should do. So here's where I think that Christians should be able to find common ground and lead the way on some of the issues that we're dealing with in our nation right now. We can say, Christians should be able to say that we need authorities who will commend what is good and be a terror to those who do evil. 
so that no law-abiding citizen should have to fear the authorities. Isn't that what we want? Whether white, black, or brown, rich or poor, we want, let me say it again, we need authorities who will commend what is good and be a terror to those who do evil so that no law-abiding citizen should have to fear the authorities, no matter what they look like or where they live or what their economic status is or their color of their skin. That, that should be how it should be. But for all the ways that we want this passage to correct the authorities, and again, it does, it does speak to that, Paul's not talking to them. He's talking to the Christian citizen who doesn't necessarily hold a position of power. And the warning here should really get our attention because the end of chapter 12, where it said, don't seek to avenge yourselves, but leave it to God. Now in this verse 4, we, we read, verse 4 again, He is God's servant for your good, but if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. He is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. And that wrongdoer is the same word for uh, evil in the previous context, good and evil, right and wrong, good and bad. We're supposed to be committed to doing good. Watch out, though. If you do evil, this is, this is my servant to carry out the sword, lethal action where appropriate, lethal force when appropriate to respond to wrongdoers. So, connecting a little bit of last week and this week, you, you and I don't get to take justice into our own hands. That means sometimes your only hope is that God will bring judgment on them at the final judgment, the last day. But sometimes in His mercy, in His providence, providing through governing authorities like police, justice falls through governing authorities. He bears the sword. Maybe it looks like a revolver or something else, but lethal force when appropriate against the wrongdoer. God's judgment according to God's standard of justice, not anybody else's. To the extent that our, our justice system, not just the police, but the court system and, and on reflects to the extent that our justice system reflects God's justice, thank God. There, there are many places where, that are far worse than our justice system for all its weaknesses and, and issues, for all its problems. To the extent that our justice system needs to be reformed, let's do it. If, if sentencing is a problem or incarceration rates are an issue or, or a white-collar crime gets, uh, gets a pass, whatever, to better, if we need to better reflect God's justice, let's do that. Let's not be afraid to do that either. Uh, submitting to the governing authorities doesn't mean things don't have to change. It's not just affirming the status quo. Make sure this text lands on you. Do good or be afraid. Or to put it more positively, Christian, do what is good and you need not fear. First Peter again, chapter 4 verse 15, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. <laughs> Don't be out there committing crime. If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glory in that name. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Do what is right. Do what is good. And trust yourself in God's hands, even if the authorities are not faithful in praising what is good and punishing what is evil. So, we live 
under governing authorities in light of God's authority. Why? Verse 5. Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. All right, we're going to focus on that last part of that verse, for the sake of conscience. This is part three. Your moral compass should lead you to submit, and here's where it's qualified, to the ultimate authority. Now, if I'd asked you before we read this passage, how does your conscience factor in when it comes to your submission to governing authorities? I think most of us would have said something like, well, I should obey the authorities except when my conscience tells me not to. And this is a great part of our history. Like uh, Martin Luther, the first great leader of the Protestant Reformation, stood alone courageously against the authorities of his day, saying things like, my conscience is captive to the word of God. To go against conscience is neither right nor safe. True, all true. And over the next few centuries, so he was in the early 1500s through the 1600s, 1700s, sadly, many Christians, Protestants, and Catholics killed each other over their convictions. And some, like the English Puritan uh, William Perkins, uh, advocated for the idea of liberty of conscience. Liberty of conscience, essentially religious freedom. But it was in the United States where that was most clearly put into law. Now, that's, that's all good, but it's not what Paul's talking about here. He says conscience is a reason to submit, not to resist the authorities. Are you seeing it? Just, this is, therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also, the other reason, for the sake of conscience. What was your conscience? Um, some picture it as a little angel on your shoulder or, you know, Jiminy Cricket. Uh, always let your conscience be your guide. It's not just an internal sense of, of what's right and wrong. It's also that feeling like, ah, I should... I shouldn't do that, or like, oh, no, I, I have to do this. Um, we're, we're so used to the idea of conscience as being something that the, the government cannot, should not, must not violate, that we may ignore the dangers of the other extreme. I, I, I'm affirming that the government cannot, should not, must not violate your conscience, but that doesn't mean conscience is supreme either. Uh, Charles Hodge was an American Bible scholar at Princeton in the 1800s. He, he was, in referring to Romans 13, he said, the gospel is equally hostile to tyranny and anarchy. The gospel is equally hostile to tyranny and anarchy. Now, as ordinary citizens, it's easy to point fingers at bad rulers, at tyranny. But the gospel is also hostile to anarchy. Ordinary people out of control, uh, you, you cannot claim to be a Christian and live like you're at the end of the book of Judges. You know how the end of the book of Judges ends, and every man did what was right in his own eyes. That cannot be what conscience means. That's living according to conscience, but not according to the, the kind of courageous, courageous conviction of Martin Luther. My conscience is captive to the Word of God. If, without that, you're just living by your instincts. We're just all doing what's right in our own eyes. Be in subjection for the sake of conscience, in Romans 13, 5, could mean one of a few things, really. For the sake of conscience. What? Uh, Christian, it could mean that Christian, you know that the authorities have been appointed by God. You know that. 
That, that, should, that should be in the back of your mind as you, as you respond, as you react. You know these have been appointed by God. Believer, you know you are to abhor what is evil, to hold fast what is good. Your, your conscience is telling you that's, that's right, that's wrong. Saints, you know you are to do right, not just to avoid punishment, but because it's right. Because you honor God at all times. Even if the authorities aren't watching you, God is. You see, that's really what's going on going on there in verse 5, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience, not only because to avoid consequences, but just because it's right, because, because you know what God says is good. That's how we are to live as citizens. So, yes, your, your conscience should be so bound to God's word that sometimes you will resist when man's word conflicts with God's word. Uh, you're, you're waiting for this, right? Acts 5, 29, we must obey God rather than men. But you can't isolate that verse and say, yeah, government, we don't obey government, we obey God. That's not a denial of, God's given, of the God-given authority of government. It says we submit to a higher authority, the ultimate authority. Your moral compass should lead you to submit to the ultimate authority. The Supreme Court is not the final authority. Your conscience is not the final authority. God is the final authority. So typically, typically, living under God's authority means we submit to governing authorities that He's appointed, unless they come into conflict. God's authority and human authority. And that should be what your conscience tells you to do. Be careful using your conscience as an excuse. Live, what, what did uh, I read earlier from Peter? Live as free people, but not free to do whatever you want, but free to do what is good and what is right. Live under governing authorities in light of God's authority. How? Here's the last part. Uh, And let me read verses 6 and 7 again. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is is owed. Part four, pay your taxes. The ruler's God-given role demands it even if he or she doesn't deserve it. Well, this seems kind of, kind of anticlimactic, kind of a boring ending to a, a spicy passage. Uh, a lot of controversy, and doesn't pay your taxes. Yeah. Uh, but it's kind of, kind of the point. First uh, Timothy 2 begins this way, first of all, Then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that or so that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. We just we just want to live a a quiet, peaceful, good, doing good life. Romans thirteen is is here not ultimately about propping up the current regime or set it, uh, settling for the status quo. That's often a critique of Paul uh, in reading this passage. He, he's just, he's setting up, he just cares about uh, keeping the status quo. What about, what about the needs for, for, uh, for, for justice when, when e- there are evildoers in office? Folks, I hope you're seeing, if we take this passage seriously, even though he's not talking to those leaders, he is addressing justice in leaders, the way the government should be. But he's focused here on living as good citizens here, even though you know yourself to be citizen of another kingdom. 
But this is where we could, we could uh, maybe kind of rationalize our way out of taxes. We're like, well, hey, I belong to another kingdom. I don't, I'm not, I don't belong here. Um, I, I, I'm devoted to God alone. I, I serve, the only authority I serve is God, and, and I don't need to pay taxes. This is really what the issue was when, when Jesus was approached and asked, is it lawful for us as God's people, the Jews were asking him, is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar? Is it right? If we're, if we're God's people, if we obey God only, uh, if, if, if he is the ultimate authority, if God's law, God's word is, is law, then should we give tribute to Caesar? Now, you know what Jesus said. Uh, show me a coin whose image is on it. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Now, the simple application there is, yes, pay your taxes. But it's also, he's also doing something more profound and subtly subversive because he said, because Okay, sure. If the coin has Caesar's image on it, give it back to him. It's his, whatever. But who bears God's image? We humans bear God's image. All of creation belongs to him. So you live under governing authorities in light of God's authority. God's authority doesn't get us out of paying taxes, but it is a reminder that governments don't own everything. Can we, can we hold all of that together? God's authority does not get us out of paying taxes, but it is a reminder that governments don't own everything. They don't own you. Now, here's where I'm getting, we're threading the needle here. <laughs> Be careful to think like a Christian, not merely as a libertarian. Now, I've got plenty of libertarian instincts, but we have to think like a Christian, not merely as a libertarian. So you don't get to reason, hey, it's not their money, it's my money. They don't have any right to it. That's close, but not right. It, the Christian says, you know, it's all God's. Everything is God's, and what I have has been entrusted to me by God, and God's Word says, Jesus says, Paul says, pay your taxes because, and this is, again, Paul subtly saying how government should work, they are responsible for establishing justice in the land in terms of approving what is good and being a terror to what is evil. Give them what they need to do to do their job the job that God gave them. So, yes, fund the police and hold them accountable. Fund the village, fund Illinois, fund the United States of America and hold them accountable. But you must give them their due. This is what God says, God says you owe. We don't read this passage, uh, give what you owe. Uh, that, yes, that's, you could read that as simply, well, what is what does Illinois say or the United States, the IRS say you owe? Okay, that's what you owe. Uh, you could also reason, well, hey, I don't owe this. I, I, I think that's a bad tax law. Um, you know, let's throw the T into the Boston Harbor, whatever. We, I don't, that, we think these taxes are bad. Here's the thing. We can, we can uh, argue, we can debate, we can protest over tax rates, tax code, tax law. We can uh, plea for reform and, and changes and all that sort of thing. But here's the deal. You, this says you do owe them your taxes. So you can't reason that, well, hey, I, I don't owe them anything. I, I only serve God. Or I don't uh, owe them anything. No, this, they are God's servant. They're God's ministers to do their job, and they, yes, they have to answer to God for how they do that. He will hold them accountable for what they, uh, in the end, ultimately, for what they do. 
But this message is for you and me. We must give them their due, not only in terms of taxes, revenue, but also in terms of respect and honor. Now, you could say, I get it. You could say, well, they don't deserve my respect any more than they deserve my money. doesn't say you should admire them. doesn't say that you should celebrate them. Just show some respect. Show some honor. Now, uh, you and I owe them that because of God's arrangement. You, you might be able to say, hey, I didn't vote for that guy. I didn't vote for him. I didn't vote for her. Uh, but you can't say, not my president. Respect the office. We like the office holders to do the same, frankly, that they would respect the office. Sometimes we don't see, we see office holders not respecting the office. This message is for them indirectly, but is pointing at us. We've got to watch our language. We've got to watch what we say, how we respond to the authorities. Live under the governing authorities in light of God's authority. And that last phrase makes all the difference. Only God has absolute authority. Not the president, not the American citizen. You don't have absolute authority. Not the Supreme Court, not your conscience. The conscience captive to the Word of God. God's authority. So, if we ever resist, it should be out of recognition of God's higher authority. Most of the time, it means we live in submission to His servants. There's a lot more we could say. If you would like to discuss things with me, question, throw things back and forth, I'd be glad to do that. But we're going to close this morning in prayer and ask for God's blessing and help over our leaders and for us as citizens. Oh God, would you would you work not only in our country, but in this world? There's so many different governments, there's so many different, uh, not just uh, uh, types of government, but different leaders with different uh, practices of justice, different sensibilities of, of how to achieve justice, a world where right is done and wrong is uh, punished. Doing, right, doing good is praised and, and doing wrong is punished. God, we are asking that you would bring more justice to our world, bring more of your justice to our nation. And God, would you help us as citizens who claim the name of Christ, who, who know our citizenship is really in another kingdom, to faithfully, humbly, quietly do what is good, do what is right, to live according to a conscience that is captive to your word. And we pray that that would be a profound witness to your work in our life. Lord, for all the ways that, that uh, we will certainly will still disagree and will likely have to wrestle with how to apply this passage in the next crisis, the next conflict, Lord, would you help us to do it, all of us, together, in submission to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.